Good morning, everybody. My name is Nick Adams. For those of you who don't know who I am, um, not this song we just sang, past song. As soon as we got done, Scott said something about, uh, you know, as you grow in Christ, you start to learn the more you praise, the more it can lift up your spirits. And uh, it made me think about something I wanted to share with y'all before I got started. Um, I can't sing worth a lick. So I never believed that. I just always, I enjoy music and I enjoy singing, but you know, you ever thought for, you know, you ever thought, you know, I might can sing a little bit and you're in the car and you hear, you got the radio up and you're singing and you, you finally get in tune and you think you can sing a little bit and then you turn it down and you realize you can't sing a lick. That's me. So Olivia, my youngest, my oldest daughter, she's five. I put her to bed every night and we say our prayers and used to, I would read her a Bible story or a book about a Bible story or something. And, uh, she's, she's pretty dramatic. She's a girl. <laughs> she loves dancing and singing and gymnastics and all that stuff. And, uh, she started asking me to sing her lullabies, to sing her a song before we went to bed. And part of it come from Miss Trudy making them once a month through the sign language in the song. That's where it started. And I was like, well, baby, I can't sing. <laughs> but listening to my daughter, I started singing. So I started pulling up these songs on my phone. And it, it actually is a, is a real thing. Uh, some of these songs, uh, one, one we sing a lot now is uh, Crowder just come out with a new song called Good God Almighty. If you, if you haven't heard it, it's a good song. But there's been times I'm tired and I feel defeated or I feel overwhelmed and I'll go in there about nine o'clock at night and pull up a song on my phone and start singing it and not even thinking about it and immediately I feel better. So what Scott said was true whether you can sing or not. And I just wanted to share that with you. Um, one of my biggest fears is that I get here on Sunday and none of the bands are here, Bobby ain't here, and I got to lead worship. <laughs> it's going to happen one day, so y'all just better sing louder. It's going to be painful. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, <laughs> the title of the message this morning is, 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 if it were easy, everyone would do it. How many of you ever heard that expression? How many of you like hearing it? Because most of the time it comes after somebody asks you to do something hard or you just got done doing something hard, right? You don't like hearing that. Keep that on your mind. But before I go any further, I want to pray. God, thank you just for another day. Just thank you for this time and ability and freedom just to worship and celebrate you and and be reminded of of how good you are and that your mercies are new every day and that you lift up our spirits when we just praise you and trust in you and just thank you for the time of worship dear lord thank you for this awesome opportunity to be able to share with people how much you love them and uh what you do for them and what you can do and what you will do dear lord i just pray that that you open our ears and eyes and hands and hearts to whatever you have to say this morning and that, uh, that I won't hinder you 
or get in the way of, of whatever you have to say. And, and dear Lord, I just pray that you, I trust that you will meet us where we're at, dear Lord, and I just pray we have the courage to respond to it. Uh, I lift everyone in this room up to you and, and anybody watching or listening and, and even those that are not, dear Lord. And I just pray that um, we'll just receive whatever, whatever it is you have to tell us. And uh, I love you. I ask it all in your name. Amen. All right, so if it were easy, everyone would do it. Uh, we're reading out of 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. I'm going to read it through. It's just three verses. And then we're going to talk about each verse and uh, tell you what God was telling me, pretty much. Um, before I read it, just to give you a little background, Paul 1 Corinthians is confusing because in 1 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 1, around verse, between verses 5 and 11, I can't remember, Paul actually wrote a letter previously, so this is really the second letter, but that first letter he wrote, either we couldn't find it or, or something, we haven't found it yet, but he mentions about writing them to him previously. Uh, so Paul is writing again to the Corinthians because Paul is on his third missionary journey when he's writing this letter, and he sets up the church in Corinth, and then, you know, he sp it says he spent 18 months with them, so he knows those people pretty well. Uh, it was one of his longer stays in places that he stopped along his missionary journey, but the people in Corinth started being divided and arguing and fighting and sinning, and, and there was this division, and so Paul's writing this letter, but Keep in mind, you know, he spent 18 months with them, so he knows them. So he knows what illustrations or analogies to use or knows how to meet them where they're at. But just keep that little, that little thought in mind that you have to know people or be in a relationship with them to really have an impact. And that's what Paul's doing here. Uh, and, and in the ninth chapter of this letter, which the letter don't have chapters, we put chapters on it, uh, but in this section of the letter, he's talking about running a race. We're going to read it, and then we'll uh, talk about it. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to join with me, or it's on the screen, or it's on your phone, it's anywhere you want it. But 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27 says, Isn't it obvious that all runners on the racetrack keep on running to win, but only one receives the victor's prize? Yet each one of you must run the race to be victorious. A true athlete will be disciplined in every respect, practicing constant self-control in order to win a laurel wreath that quickly withers. But we run our race to win a victor's crown that will last forever. For that reason, I don't run just for exercise or box like one throwing aimless punches. But I train like a champion athlete. I subdue my body and I get it under my control so that after preaching the good news to others, I myself won't be disqualified. How many of you like hearing that? You got to have self-control, discipline. You got to subdue your body or beat your body into submission. How many of you want to do those things? If it were easy, everybody would do it, right? Jesus in Matthew 7, somewhere along in there, you know, narrow is the gate and wide is the path that leads to destruction. There's a highway to hell and a path to heaven. 
Paul's reminding them of these instructions. So after I read that, those three verses, uh, the first thing I thought of was, well, what does it take to run a race? Um, on Wednesdays, we do a diving deeper discussion, which is just uh, kind of practicing what we preach, kind of fleshing out the message a little bit more based off the previous Sunday's message. And so Wednesday, uh, I got the opportunity to kind of facilitate the discussion. Um, and what Bobby said last Sunday, if some of you don't remember, is are you near or are you far? Are you a citizen or a saint or an alien and a stranger or something like that? Uh, and are you near or are you far? And what does it take to be near? Well, most of the time in our planning uh, or, or trying to figure out the best way to go about doing something, most of the time Bobby or John kind of has the vision or the idea or what it's going to look like. And my way of thinking or, or the back end of that is, well, what is it going to take to get that done? Uh, and so that's the way I think all the time. Um, and so when I read this, the first question pops to mind is, what does it take to run a, waste, run a race well? And each verse tells you that. There's a natural outline or plan in there for you. So if we all have a race to run, we all have a life right? God has given us a race to run. You want to do it well, right? I don't know anybody that intentionally decides to do something terrible. If you do, then I'd love to talk to you and figure out where you're at and why you're there. Uh, but nobody intentionally decides to be bad at something. I, the, other, the other part of that, I thought, well, if you're running a race, Paul says only one, in running a race, only one receives a prize, but we know that we run a race and we receive a prize that lasts forever. Well, there's a purpose, right? There's a reason. You don't run a race. If you knew, would you run a marathon if you knew there was no incentive or prize in it? Would you do anything if you knew there was not an end goal or do you do you just do things without any you just do things to be doing them you need to understand why you're running you need to understand why you're living your life there has to be a purpose the reason why you do something the reason why you exist purpose is is the first thing i want to point out to you because Paul says, starting in verse 24, isn't it obvious that all runners on the racetrack keep on running to win? He's pointing out something to you. You, you have to know your purpose. You have to know why you're doing what you're doing. If you don't, then I would care to guess that you probably go around in circles and hit a wall and just keep going around in circles if you, if you have no purpose. Well, purpose starts with your identity. We've, and we've talked about this before, but your identity is who are you, right? If I were to say, David, who are you? 
And for example, you were to say, well, I work at Builder's First Source. Then your identity would be in your job, right? And most people's identity is in their, you know, they think about their family or, or their career. And that's not the case. Your identity, see, your identity shapes your purpose. And our identity is found in Christ Jesus alone. And when this, when Christ Jesus shapes your identity, then your purpose naturally falls into place. But if your identity is in what you do or what you have, then it's going to be out of order. Uh, I remember, it's probably been a year and a half ago now, we uh, were going through the ordination process to be ordained, and there was, you know, four of us, and we had this group, and we were meeting, and... And the first couple of meetings, Bobby was, was in there with us just kind of answering any questions we had. And, and one thing he said, another pastor said to him, which is something I never forget, is in your priorities, God needs to be first, your wife needs to be second, your kids need to be third, and your ministry needs to be fourth. Your job, your ministry. If you, and if you get one or two out of order, you're going to lose three or four. And every time you feel, how many of you feel like you're too busy or you're being pulled more than one direction? If you put God first and your wife second and you make a priority, a plan, if you have a purpose to intentionally do that, then more times than not, God will redeem or give you time to do three and four, especially four. But when you start putting your job or your career or things you want in front of all that, then that's why you constantly feel overwhelmed and busy and pulled apart. It's because your priorities ain't in line. Well, to run a race well, you got to know who you are and who you're doing it for and why you're doing it. Verse 26 says, For that reason I don't run just for exercise or box like one throwing aimless punches. If I was a boxer and the only thing I did was shadow box, then when I got in the ring or got to the end of my race to finally have my judgment or meet whoever I was fighting, for example, then if the only thing I did was ever shadow box, when I got hit in the mouth, I probably wouldn't be ready for it, right? I think what Rocky says, uh, it's not how well you can throw a punch, it's how well you can take a punch. In saying all that, it requires some effort, it requires some work. How many of you like work? Raise your hand. Yeah? So, how many of you like to play golf or like golf? A couple. I like playing golf. Uh, I love being outside, and uh, I love that sometimes when I go to play by myself, you know, they try to pair you up in fours, and I get to ride or play, spend four hours with somebody I don't even know. Uh, anyway, uh, Gary Player is, is a Hall of Fame golfer, and if you don't know anything about golf, you'll hopefully you'll still get this illustration. Uh, Gary Player said, 
Somebody came up to him and said, man, I'd give anything to hit a golf ball like you. If I could hit a golf ball like you, I'd be on the PGA Tour. And Gary Player replied to him and said, you'd give anything to hit a golf ball like me if it were easy. You've got to get up at 5 a.m. and go out and hit 1,000 golf balls, walk back to the clubhouse, put bandages on your hands, and then go out and hit another 1,000 golf balls. That's what it takes to hit a golf ball like me. A lot of people want what others have, the ability, the skill, but hardly anybody's willing to put in the work to get it. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, Paul says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God, God has called me heaven, heavenward in Jesus Christ. I press on, I keep on, I work at it. Well, to keep on working, you've got to have some kind of self-discipline or self-control, right? How many of you like self-control? In Tuesday night, men's Bible study, uh, I've brought this up almost every other day just because God's working on me in it, but fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you were to rate yourself one through nine, where would self-control be? Every evaluation, self-control is eight or nine. Why? Because self-control, you have to deny yourself. Because God has a plan for you. And we're, you know, if, if you know anything about Adam and Eve and Genesis, beginning of the Bible, because of their sin, because they decided I want what I want and not what God wants, we inherited that, and so we're naturally sinful. We're natured to go against that. So you have to deny yourself to be able to have any self-control, and it all comes from God. John Maxwell says, uh, and it's something that I have wrote on my wall in my garage, is everything worthwhile is uphill. Any climb uphill must be deliberate, consistent, and willful. It's intentional. So if you just go at life aimlessly, you're going to end up going around in circles. If you don't have a purpose, and if you don't have a plan, how many men, how many of you like making plans? How many of you got calendars? Or how many of you let your wife tell you what to do? <laughs> I hate making plans. I love being spontaneous. I love not knowing what I'm doing. But I have realized that if I don't have something to go after, if I don't have a target or a goal, I'm not going to work as hard and I'm not going to care as much. Same thing with your life. Jesus was intentional. It may have seemed like things just happened, but he was very intentional. The woman at the well. Jesus and the Jews, Jesus chose to go into Samaria, which was opposite of what you would do if you were Jewish. You know, normally they went around. And he decided to go straight through because he was intentional and he knew 
I'm going to go to this well and I'm going to meet this woman. And it's going to change her life and she's going to run down the hill and start telling people and it's going to change other people's life. But he had intention, he had purpose. So you got to put some effort into it. If you want the juice, you got to squeeze, right? And you take that wherever you want. <laughs> but what I'm saying for is you got to put some effort into it if you want any results. And a lot of people get hung up on this because they try to tie salvation and they say, well, you know, you don't have to work for your salvation. And that's true. Salvation is free. But God paid a mighty high price for that salvation. And don't you think he deserves for you to put a little bit of effort into your life that's going to result in ultimately your good? Salvation is free, but that's just the beginning. That's just the diving board into the pool. What happens after is where you start to learn how, as Scott mentioned, praising in the storm lifts up your spirits and how the more you deny yourself, the more freedom you have in Christ and the more power you have in the Holy Spirit to be able to do things you would never do. I never thought I'd be standing up here doing what I'm doing today. I never wanted to. I tried not to. Only thing I did was get up and say, God, what do you want me to do? Help me to deny myself. Help me to be empty myself and be full of you so you can take me wherever you want to take me. And just, I'm not saying everybody has to be a pastor or a preacher, but like your job, if you look at your job as a ministry, it doesn't last forever. I'm probably not going to be here forever. I may be. But if you look at your job as a ministry and that's what God's calling you to right now and that your abilities and talents and skills God's given you to give you influence for people, not just for a company or for a project or whatever. But if you, every day you wake up and you say, I wonder who God's going to put in front of me today at my job that I might be able to show them the path or show them how to run their race, then it makes work a little more lighthearted. It makes it not so such a drab sometimes, you know? Your job is your ministry. Whatever you're doing. Discipline. So after you figure out who you are and what you're doing it for and you start putting a little effort behind it and you have a goal, after a while you, get, you can be motivated to do anything, right? You get motivated. Around Easter everybody gets motivated, right? So we just got over Easter and it was kind of like, all right, well Easter's happened and we've celebrated and we've worshipped and the sun rose and it was beautiful and, and I feel so great and fool because I got reminded of all these things Jesus did for me. Well, now what? you got to have some self-control 
and some discipline to keep running the race because your life is a marathon, not a sprint. Romans 8.13 says, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. If you submit yourself and humble yourself and let God take control, you'll live. If you keep doing what you want to do, it's going to lead to death. It's just plain as that. It ain't easy, but it's simple. As I said, Tuesday night Bible study, we had the evaluation of self-discipline, and, every, and it's always eight or nine, even for me. And that started convicting me because I've been on this prayer journey and since Thanksgiving. And I'll be honest with you, I'm about tired of praying. I mean, I love spending time with God, but being intentional every single day about getting still and having to block that time off whenever it may be and be still and constantly shove yourself down is hard. But I started realizing it was because I've never had intentional self-discipline or never had any markers to say, okay, I need, need some help or I need to check on where I'm at. I need to evaluate. Because why? Because I like being spontaneous and living my life just wherever the wind blows, you know? Happy and free. Ignorance is bliss, you know? I'm just a butterfly. <laughs> but that ain't how it's supposed to be. God gave us a design and a way to do it. In Proverbs 25, 28, uh, I don't have it wrote down, uh, but it says something like along the lines of a man without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. And it's easier to let things come in and distort and deceive So because of this, he knows that we can't do it on our own. Other people make you better. And this was, this was my biggest problem because I have a problem trusting people. But what I've realized is that when I try to do it on my own, I get burned down. That after a while, you're going to be able to talk yourself out of anything, no matter how self-disciplined you are. If you don't have people around you to help you, you'll never, you'll always quit. If you run a race, and you, if you're training for a race, you're training for life, and you're doing it by yourself, you won't train as hard, will you? If you've got people around you, when there's people with me, I exercise harder. I run longer. I run faster. Sometimes for the wrong reasons, because I'm competitive <laughs> and I have a little pride. But other times because I know that they're encouraging me to keep on. you got to have people in your life if you want to be able to run your race well. We talked about identity earlier. Identity does not come from isolation. Your identity, your purpose is lived in community with others. It's a hard thing to do. It's hard, hard trusting people, ain't it? Especially outside of your immediate family, outside of your wife or kids maybe. 
But God made us for a relationship and relationship with Him and relationship with each other. Other people make us better. Uh, there's an African proverb that I stumbled across uh, preparing for this message, and, and uh, it says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And remember, this is a marathon. You got to have accountability. People around you make you better. So, I meet, not necessarily because I'm kind of an introverted person. I don't talk a whole lot. Um, but I meet with a group of men or a group of people every other day because I know that if I don't have people in my life that can speak into my life, that I trust, that can hold me accountable, I will talk myself out of anything. You got to have people to hold you accountable because if it's just you and you alone, remember you're sinful. You were born with a sin nature. And if it's just you and you, you're selfish. And your sinful self will talk yourself out of anything. you got to have people to motivate you, to inspire you. Something I learned about motivation is I would rather have somebody inspire me and motivate me because somebody motivating you most of the time is somebody telling you what to do right but if you're inspired by somebody it's because they've already done it and you saw them and you should live your life that way don't just be about what you say be about what you do so if you come in here on sunday and are one way, and the rest of Monday through Saturday, you're another way. Do you think people are going to be inspired? 1 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. That ain't a fun one to read either. But Paul, four chapters later, brings it up again. Surely you know that Christ is among you. Do you know Jesus is among you? Do other people know Jesus is among you? And if not, you have failed to test a genuine faith. In running this race, Paul said at the beginning... We run a race to win a victor's crown that will last forever. So, our prize is never ended. So, wouldn't you train that much more harder for a prize that's never ending versus a prize you only get one time in one race? I got one more thing. If you don't know your source, if you don't know whose you are and who you are, 
then none of this matters or is going to work. Maybe you're motivated by something I said today. But if you don't know who you are and whose you are, if you don't know your source, it don't matter. It ain't going to work. It's only going to last for a certain amount of time. As I said on Wednesdays, we started doing this diver deep, diving deeper discussion. <clears throat> and it's been about, I don't know, two or three Wednesdays ago. Uh, some cool stuff happens on Wednesday. We're able to, you know, sit around and have a conversation. And on Sunday, you know, we're, we're worshiping, celebrating, and I love Sundays. But it's hard to have a conversation with 100 people. So we, we get to do that a little more on Wednesdays, get to know each other and know each other's hearts. And, and anyways, that Wednesday, it was about two Wednesdays ago, and then again, it was a diving deeper based off something Bobby had said. But um, I was at the youth house working on the air conditioner, and then I come in the fellowship hall to make sure Miss Trudy didn't need nothing. So I come in here about 15, 20 minutes after it started, had no idea what they were doing, and... Um, what the discussion was about. But when I came in, they were talking about Colossians 1, 27, which says, starting with verse 26, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. Uh, if any of you remember anything I said over this past year, I, this verse comes up almost every time I preach because um, I realized in my own life that anything I do, if I don't realize that it is Christ in me, working in me and through me, then I'm going to fall short or it's going to fizzle out. It's Christ in you. It's Christ that does it. It's not Christ and you. It's Christ in you, right? Uh, in running your race, you don't just add, you don't ask Christ to come along and run, run beside you. Christ is in you, and He's the one that's making, helping you run. He's the reason you run. Anyway, in that diving deeper discussion, a guy who I, whom I've never met, uh, and I haven't seen him since, uh, he was kind of like an angel. Uh, his name was Carlos Lopez. He might be here today. I don't know. If you see him, tell him I said thank you. Anyway, he, he, we were talking about Christ in you and Christ in you and knowing your source. And uh, he gave this illustration, uh, which really just, you know, God showed up in the moment. Um, the moon is the brightest light source at night, right? In the dark, in the darkness, the moon is the brightest light source. But the moon is not a light source on its own, whether you knew that or not. It's just a reflection of the sun shining off of it. The sun is its actual source. The sun, S-O-N, is not in coincidence the same name and word as the sun S-U-N. If he's your source, then your light is going to shine bright. 
And Carlos went on to say, went on to add, you know, every once in a while, I remember, I think it was in 2019, there was a solar eclipse where the earth, sun, and moon aligned and it covered up the moon and light for a second. If you let the world speak into your life, if your walls are broken down because you don't have a purpose, plan, target in running your race, then it's going to cover up the light and people ain't going to be able to see you. You're not going to be able to see. But if you remember the sun is your source and you're just a reflection of that, then people are going to see. They ended up naming their daughter Luna because of that. Because they wanted her to be a reminder that she is a light bearer. She is a light source. She's not a light source. The light source is in her. So they named her Luna. It's a cool moment. You have to remember it's Him in us, not us. Uh, Pastor Bobby tells us every once in a while that Mr. Will Tate um, walks with him sometimes and says, you know, I'm in the last quarter and I got to get, I got to, so I got to make sure I'm getting it right. Some of you are in the, are in the, at the end of your race of life. And whether you're at the end or beginning, you don't know what quarter you're in. That's the great thing about life. You don't know what quarter you're in. This, this could be your last quarter right now. So make sure you get it right. Make sure you know Jesus. And make sure He's the source of everything you're doing. And if you know Him, then you should have a plan, a purpose in running your race. When you get to the end of your race and you come face to face with Jesus, you don't want Him to say you're disqualified, do you? You don't want Him to ask you, I give you this life, I give you this wife, I give you these kids, what did you do with them? I don't know. I think we did alright. I think we worked out alright. I just kind of lived my life. I didn't really have a plan. You don't want to say that. You don't want to be, say, Jesus, you know, I'll... I didn't really put any effort into it. I wish you would have. No matter where you're at, you can always start again. Maybe you quit running. Maybe you're on the wrong path. Maybe you're in the stands watching everybody else run. No matter where you're at, God can meet you if you let him. And you can start running again if you're not. And if you are, remember, God put people around you to help you. It ain't easy, but it's simple. One last thing I'll, I'll share with you. I'll close with this. How many of you know who Mark Lowry is? Or the Gaither vocal band? Yeah, I, some of you may have heard this before, but I didn't know who Mark Lowry is. I have to admit, I don't listen to the Gaithers a whole lot. Uh, Mark Larry, Lowry was talking about a tornado. And he said he was living on this lake and he had a houseboat and a tornado was coming. He said it sounded like a freight train. He said, 
There ain't no trains on this lake that I know of. And anyway, the, the tornado gets closer and closer, and he said his trailer's rocking, and, and uh, it almost turns over, and, and uh, he's thinking he's about to die, and he f- falls on the floor and finds his radio, and he radios over to another dock and another dock, and, and they're all like, yeah, we're okay. Uh, we're, one of us is upside down, but we're okay, and tornado passes, and... They asked him, and they said, uh, Mark, what would you, you think about that? And he said, uh, it would have been a lot better had I known I was going to live through it. I'd have had a lot more fun had I known I was going to live through it. If you don't know Jesus, or you're not living for Jesus, life or your race would be a lot funner if you knew you were going to live through it. You ever heard the expression, you only live once? Well, you really, if you're in Jesus and know Jesus, you only die once, you live forever. If you know you're going to live through it, it makes it simpler. I'm going to pray. God, thank you for loving us enough to, to give us reminders and, and people and things to know that this race you've given us, this life you've given us, uh, you designed us and made us for a purpose, dear Lord, and help us just to, to live into that. Help us to, to be okay trusting people that in that we trust you. And, and dear Lord, I pray that if people don't, if there's anybody that doesn't know you, dear Lord, they're lost. They don't even know what path to be on, dear Lord. I pray that you would, would meet them there and they would know that, that you'll meet them there and that you loved them and, and died for them and, and can save them and redeem them if, if they would just let you. Dear Lord, I pray for those that, that maybe got off the path, dear Lord, and don't know which way to run, dear Lord. You'll meet them too. For those of us that are, that are just trying to continue on, dear Lord, just help us continue to, to die to ourselves and lay down our lives for You and know that You uh, give us freedom and, and give us the Holy Spirit. And, and dear Lord, I just pray that we'll just abide in that. And, and dear Lord, as uh, Morning Glory sings this last song, I just pray that wherever anybody's at that's watching or listening, that that they will just be humbled enough, dear Lord, to ask You and to respond, dear Lord, to whatever You're saying to them. Uh, I ask all these things in Your name. Amen.